This is the first time. Chirp Radio's live storytelling and music series recorded at Martyrs in Chicago's North Center neighborhood. Here's your host, Jen Sodini. Yeah, David Franklin. He's a former clerk for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And because I'm classy, I obviously asked him if she bones Scalia. He says no, um, but they used to hang out a bunch. Um, but we had to know, inquiring minds. Um, he has written for many prominent publications. He's a regular on WTTW. Uh, as a professor to Paul, I said that. One article you can check out of his is on Slate. It's about the Skinner versus Oklahoma case, and somehow it's regarding how a chicken thief ended up setting precedent for same-sex marriage. So, yeah, curious. <laughs> With a great pleasure, I introduce David Franklin. everybody doing tonight? Uh, man, it is really fucking cold out there. Uh, April 28th? Man, Chicago. Uh, I grew up on the East Coast where we have uh, spring. And, uh, and every year around this time, late April, uh, you start to feel the days getting longer, uh, the girls' skirts getting a little bit shorter. Uh, the sun getting a little higher in the sky. Um, every year, there would be a color that you'd forgotten about during the winter, you know, and that would reappear, like the yellow-green with just a little hint of blue in it that's produced by sunlight bouncing off of a freshly mowed lawn. And the smells, on a good spring day, you could smell a little bit of the ocean in the air. All of these things, right, are nature's way of saying spring is here and summer is right around the corner, right? And so every year, as a kid, around this time, late April, I would start getting scared shitless. <laughs> My chest would tighten at school as I watched all the kids around me gleefully counting down the remaining days until summer. For me, it was like the unbearably slow countdown to a nuclear strike. Because my dirty little secret was, I hated summer. Summer was this like alien place, a, a, a post-apocalyptic landscape in which everyone else was giddy and free and exploring their bodies and themselves or whatever. <laughs> And, and I was wandering around like the undead, not knowing what to do with myself. I basically had seasonal affective disorder in reverse. <laughs> and my hatred of summer, I now realize, was connected to the contract that I made with my parents when I was a kid, which is what I want to talk about tonight. This was not a real contract. My parents and I never put it in writing or even really spoke about it out loud or anything like that. But nonetheless, there was definitely a contract. Um, and we all have one. It's a little bit like the social contract, right? You get roped into it very early on in life without ever signing on any dotted line, right? You learn from your parents, your siblings, your friends, 
kind of what your role is, first within your family and then in the broader community. And your mission during childhood and adolescence is to figure out the terms of that deal and then decide whether you want to perform or renege. And some of us are still trying to figure that out. So by the time I was eight or nine years old, it was clear to me what my deal was. If I did well in school, which fortunately was easy for me, my parents would not make me do anything that wasn't easy for me, by which I mean everything else other than school. <laughs> so some examples of things that were not easy for me, swimming, especially that part where you turn your head and breathe and then keep going. <laughs> Baffling. Uh, sports of any kind. Um, anything involving large or small motor skills. Um, to give you an idea, to this day, my main sport is chess, which, as you may know, involves relatively little physical exertion and a bare minimum of hand-eye coordination. <laughs> Um, other things that were outside my comfort zone included playing a musical instrument, um, talking to girls, um, sleeping away from home overnight. Um, but you see, in my mind, none of this mattered because as long as I continued to perform well academically, I would never need to do any of these difficult and terrifying things ever. So I was keeping up my end of the deal. Now, I was very happy with this deal because, um, well, for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one thing, I was happy with it because when you're a kid, school is your job. And in America, if you're good at your job, then your value as a human being has been conclusively established, right? <laughs> um, the other reason I was happy with it um, is that my life is controlled by fear and cowardice. <laughs> Always has been. And so I was frightened to death of trying and failing at all of these difficult and terrifying non-school activities. Um, as for my parents, I think they were also happy with, uh, with the deal uh, because, well, for one thing, I was the youngest of three children. And as I now know with three kids of my own, by the third one, you're like, whatever, just don't get hit by a bus. Um, <laughs> Plus, my parents are cowards, too, so what they valued most was avoiding conflict with me. Right? So if I was happy with the deal, then they were happy with the deal. Although, come to think of it, that's a little unfair to my parents. In truth, it was my dad who was the coward. Um, if my mom had had her way, and I've talked to her about this recently, um, I would have been thrown into the deep end and been forced to learn how to swim, literally. Um, but my dad had grown up with a domineering mother, and he didn't want to reproduce that in his own family. So he was the conflict-averse appeaser who collaborated with me to cede more and more territory to fear and cowardice. Uh, I remember coming home from my second ever piano lesson. I must have been 10 years old. Uh, and the piano teacher had absurdly um, tried to get the fingers of my left hand to do something different from the fingers of my right hand, like at the same time, uh, as if, right? 
now, to be fair, I'm told this is an important component of piano playing. Scott, is that? Yeah. Anyway, I couldn't do it. I still can't. Uh, it's sort of like this, right? I just can't do it. Um, and afterwards, I came home and I screamed at my parents, I'm never going back, right? And I can remember my mother trying to f sort of hold the line. And then I can still hear the quiet, firm, appeasing voice of my dad saying, dear, if it's upsetting him this much, he doesn't need to do it. Right? I never went back. Um, but the issue where the deal really came to the fore was sleepaway summer camp. Okay, Here was an activity that brought together everything I feared. <laughs> Swimming, sports, sleeping away from home, and not taking quizzes, right? So that's why this time of year is, is so sort of uh, full of memories for me because I, I, you know, I was always just petrified about the prospect of being made to go to summer camp. And, and I successfully resisted this uh, up until about the age of 12. Um, I, I, I didn't have to go to sleepaway camp. Instead, I would glumly attend a succession of sports-related day camps in the city where I would sit around and bake my legs on hot asphalt and then every once in a while get up and try to hit a tennis ball or make a layup. Um, and so this is that time of year where my mother would come to me because she was still fighting the good fight, right? And try to get, to, uh, get me to agree to, to go to sleepaway camp. You know, she would say to the 13-year-old me, like, someday you're going to go to college, okay? You need to learn how to do this, right? And, and every year I would dig in my heels with all the cowardice I could muster, right? And say no. Mind you, this was in the late 70s, early 80s. So this was before the invention of like trigonometry camp and model UN camp and reciting Monty Python sketches from memory camp or whatever they had, right? I, I think I might have found one of those that I would have liked, but no, in those days it was cabins and canoes and campfires or nothing, right? And so one summer when I was probably 13, my mom discovered a special magical camp for chicken shit homesick kids like me. <laughs> camp Waradaka, okay? And the gimmick was you sent your kid to this camp in a school bus on Monday morning and then the bus brought your kid back home on Friday to spend the weekend back home, and then you did it all over again the next Monday morning, right? I think the camp motto was, we never tear off the scab. <laughs> you know, if you look up Worst of Both Worlds in the dictionary, you'll find a picture of Camp Moradaka. Anyway, I have very few uh, memories from sleepaway camp working with my therapist on this, but thus far I have very few <laughs> memories. And, um, uh, but I, so I remember getting a mosquito bite on the inside of my wrist that swelled up to the size of one of those hotel call bells, you know? Um, I remember going fishing uh, down at the pond and pushing a hook through the bait and into my thumb. I remember that. Um, 
But the main memory I have is of me like clinging to the door of our house each Monday morning, desperate not to get onto that bus, right? And then sitting in my cabin, miserable with home, homesickness and, and social anxiety, and then sort of kind of getting used to it by Friday morning, at which point I would get on the bus to go home to suffer through it all again the next week. Needless to say, um, it didn't work. Uh, also needless to say, I eventually realized that the contract that I was so fond of had been uh, a raw deal from the beginning. Um, school is not life. Uh, cowardice is not a strategy. Uh, most of what matters in life happens in those frightening places that I didn't want to go. And facing your fears is a lifelong process. A process that includes, in my case, uh, getting up in front of a live audience and telling you part of my story. So, uh, thank you. So, uh, with your permission and with all of you as witnesses, uh, I'm just going to uh, symbolically tear up my contract. Thank you. Down 
You've been listening to a Chirp Radio podcast of our live storytelling and music series, The First Time. Our storyteller was David Franklin, and The First Time 3 performed Ghost World by Amy Mann. The First Time 3 is Steve Frisbee, Liam Davis, and Scott Stevenson. To hear more First Time pieces, check out the series website, firsttime.chirpradio.org. And you can find more podcasts produced by the station at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.